Welcome back to 7 Seconds Your Board. This is episode 62. I'm your host, as always, Peter Howarth, joined as usual by Duncan Adele. Duncan, how are you? I'm doing well, you know. Got to enjoy the All-Star weekend. A couple days of uh, looking at NHL odds because there's no NBA to bet on. Oh, and uh, getting ready for it to be back. Well, only only one Hornet in All-Star weekend, so pretty typical for an All-Star weekend. Uh, and our other guest today is standing at six foot five from Melrose, Massachusetts, Garrett Collins. Garrett, welcome back to the show. It's been a long time coming. Thank you, Pete. It's, yeah, it's you know it's been a minute since I've been able to come on. You know, life moving to Connecticut and all that stuff. So it's been it's a real honor to be brought back, dude. I appreciate it. Well, appreciate the starting people- lineup call too. You know, even if you're coming <laughs> as a bench player here. Uh, yeah, we didn't we didn't give you position. You're positionless, right? You fit perfectly with a modern NBA. There we go. And and to the people who think, oh, Garrett's on, it, it, we're only going to talk about the Celtics. It's not true. It's not <laughs> true. We don't even have a dedicated Celtics segment. So so don't don't tune away, Knicks fans. Because I'm pretty sure, like most people that listen to our show are Celtics or, or Knicks. Like we have a pretty strict. Yeah, I mean, we're a Northeast podcast, so we have and Nets. I apologize to our Nets. The Kevin Ali Nets. The oh, uh, disgraced boy. UConn legend coach, Kevin Ali. What, what are you guys thinking about that as interim head coach? I know he interviewed for some Pistons jobs, Piston, the Pistons head coach job. And for those who haven't heard, Kevin Ali uh, won a national championship in his first year at UConn with Jim Calhoun's recruits and then uh, tanked UConn men's basketball for the following five five <laughs> years after that with horrible recruits. And then Danny Hurley came and saved us. But he did win one national championship, and now he is named the interim head coach of the Brooklyn Nets um, since Jack Vaughn was fired. And I thought it was unexpected. Maybe it was not unexpected to other people, but in a bit of a meddling Nets season this year, uh, we'll see if this is a full tank or a salvage the rest of the season kind of deal with Kevin Ollie there. Uh, well, yeah. Garrett, you you lived one year of the uh, Kevin Ali coaching experience at UConn. I did not. So, any any takeaways from that? Yeah, dude, I tell you, it was pretty bleak. I mean, there was a lot of expectations coming up. You know, you fill in his shoes like Jim Calhoun. It's numby feet, you know. And to win a national championship in his first year, I I didn't get on the scene to see like the double national championship win. But like, there was a lot of goodwill for Kevin Ali. I mean, dude. Like, Holy cow, like he won it in his first year. That's what a start, right? But I lived through what he did to the program and the ensuing lawsuits and all that jazz. And I'm grateful for one thing about Kevin Ali. It's that we suck so bad that he brought Danny Hurley into our life. So don't have a lot of great words to say about him, unfortunately. I can't claim to know him personally. I can only just see the product he put on the court year in and year out. And... Wait, wait, hear me out, hear me out. Let me take you a blast to the past real quick. Yeah. Josh Carlton, Altariq oh Gilbert. <laughs> I remember seeing these fools just put up booty numbers and bad shots. Well, Josh Carlton, you know, kind of regained himself at Houston. He went there and actually contributed for a bit. But yeah, Altariq Gilbert, what a name. I, he was the most frustrating guy to watch. Dude, oh my God. And then him and Jalen Gaffney, remember him? Oh, yeah. Christ. But Gaffney, he got like a little Final Four run with FAU. FAU, yeah. Florida Atlantic. Crazy, man. Crazy. It's relevant somehow. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of players there that I, who I thought were like, dude, oh, my God, like they're making shots. They're doing great. They're, dude, they, they they weren't it. The recruiting that Kevin Ollie did, and I'm saying did, like he you know, accomplished something, 
Yeah, he got talent, but the talent didn't work towards anything because Peter sent me a TikTok recently uh, that was Donovan Mitchell's high school team, the leading scorer on his high school team, Jalen Adams. You know, Donovan Mitchell was his number two. So there was a chance. We We had the talent, but it takes more than talent to make it in college basketball and in the NBA. Yeah, and and speaking of which, uh, I will say uh, as as regards to where we started this for the Brooklyn Nets, um, they're they're a little poverty franchisey to me right now. It's a little sad, um, and I think Kevin Ollie to De- to Dan Hurley will be similar to what's going to happen in Brooklyn because I don't think Ollie's the he's not the solution. He's the stopgap. Yeah. The question is, are they going to go with? like a full rebuilding ish kind of coach, or are they going to try to bring in some big brand name? It, it's like a perfect epitome of what the nets are in which they are completely in flux and sort of without direction. And yeah. the hiring of Ollie is, uh, I, I just think another indication of like, what is this franchise? Are they, are they trying to compete right now? Are they get, trying to compete for the future? They haven't really leaned in either direction and they're just sort of pushing that, that problem down the yeah, road. I bit. think flux is a great way to describe what we've seen for the Nets for the, like the shit the last decade, right? Like they're going from a team that you know doesn't quite have it, and then oh my god, let's bring in KG, let's bring in Paul Pierce, ship out some picks to Boston, and all of a sudden like oh hey, we could be great, and then they just get bounced really easy. They go move on from those guys, they retire. Oh my god, let's enter the big three era after they what they just had some try to build some ground up stuff. Enter Dimwitty. Like, oh, those scrappy Nets teams were great. Those were fun to watch. They had something going. But then they take out all of their culture guys, ship them to X, Y, and Z, and then there's like the soup team for a couple years that just, oh, my God. And we're talking flux as a, a word for the Nets. That was just a revolving door. It was a carousel of different players year in and year out. It was, I mean, it was the best drama in the league. It was great. Kyrie Harden, Kevin Durant, it was better than soap operas, dude. It was must-see TV. We'll have yeah, we'll have to get our resident Nets fan expert, yeah. Sean Moore's opinion on this. But like, would you prefer that or the Washington Wizards for the past ten years? Because they've they've truly been mid. Uh, maybe <laughs> ten years is a long time, but you know, even with Russ and Bradley Beal, it was good enough to be in mm. the playoffs, but not good enough to be contenders, and bad enough to not really get out of the first or second round, but not bad enough to get a good draft draft pick. So, you know, highs and lows versus, like, kind of always middling. I don't know which one's better. I'm a Hornets fan, so we've only seen lows. But we'll see what, what the, where the Nets go with uh, like this offseason. You know? Like, it's it's you can't tank low enough to get a good pick. And net, the Nets this year, we're talking about flux. They're not even playing with their pick. So they kind of feel like they need to win, right? Which is kind of the whole situation where you get out Jacques Vaughn, you put in Kevin Ollie. It's like, okay, well, you can't win right now. And they have a bunch of great tiered role players that they – brought in and they got back from a lot of trades to ship out their previous big three, you know? So it's like, it's, it's this team doesn't have an identity and Peter flux. I feel like it's just a great way to say it because they don't have a constant. They don't have a guy that they can go to right now. I mean, Mikhail Bridges is fabulous, right? But he was the third best player in the Suns, you know? And he's got, he's a great two way player. He's, he, I feel like you put him in this situation to be that guy. He is that guy. Right. And they have a lot of guys that, are kind of under that Mikhail level that really could be contributing role players, but they just don't have that constant stability when, you know, Betty Universe on the line, who are you going to take the shot? It's right now it's Mikhail. But who's that going to be? 
You yeah, it, it's it's not it's not promising. Um, Macau is also like twenty eight, and right, like I I'd love to look up the number. I mean, I'm sure it exists. Like, how many first time All Stars have there been that have been thirty or older or something? Right, it's got to be a small yeah. number. So yeah, I mean, the Nets almost like the Wizards. Um, finally, the Wizards have come around, but they're not they're not very self aware. Um, they don't know who they are, and I think in the NBA, if if you don't know who you are for this extended of a stretch, um, you know, I think there are less less and less bad GMs every year. Although, oh, uh, the, the, you know, the the Pistons do exist, so I do I do have to take that back. Um, so yeah, it just becomes really tough for for a team like the Nets, at least. Yeah. Speaking of bad front office, though, it brings us to our first full court press. Uh, Jesus. Peter, you want to take it away with this one? Uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about something that uh, that happened today, actually. So Jake J. Reddick, he was on first take. Uh, he called out Doc Rivers, right, current head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. He said that Doc really doesn't have accountability. He has never had it. J.J. saw it firsthand when he was with the Clippers. Um, so this comes right after Doc said he, quote, wouldn't wish joining a team midseason on anyone during his Milwaukee introductory press conference he blamed his players for losing against the uh depleted grizzlies prior to the all-star break the the grizzlies that were using two-way guys they were using hardship exemption guys um you know this is what we're talking about uh he commented on that loss that we had some guys here we had some guys in kava so just listen to this rant here from jj for yourself side note real quick no one's gonna react to doc's audio there We've been here yeah, seven you heard, minutes oh. since we showed that audio. Nobody's going to react to Doc's audio. Do you want me to get it oh, Doc, hey, for you? He's Look, doing. He's doing. Don't repeat it. I, I we don't have to repeat it. I can repeat I, I've it. I've seen the trend now. I've seen the trend for years. What's the trend? The trend is always making excuses. Get Doc. We get it. Taking over a team in the middle of the season is hard. It's hard. We get it. Just like getting traded in the middle of the season is hard for a player. We get it. Mm-hmm. But it's always an excuse. It's always throwing your team under the bus. They lose to Memphis. Oh, it's his players. Memphis was playing G League guys and two-way guys. And then you look at his quotes over the weekend. Now he wants to take credit for the James Harden trade to the Clippers working out. He wants credit for that. There's just no <laughs> – there's never accountability with that guy. Well, there's never say. accountability. So, just coming off of the clip, um, I just want you – I want to know your guys' opinion. Whose side are you on? Are you on JJ's side? Are you on Doc's side? Or are you maybe, you know, somewhere in the gray? Duncan, you can go first. Yeah, I mean, JJ, the beginning of that clip, he's kind of screaming. And so my uh, first like take was to not be on his side. But he, he, he comes around, I feel like. Um, and then he t- starts to talk some sense. I'd say I'm more on his side. I mean, Doc, it's just some weird privilege to be, you know, a head coach of a team that has Giannis Antetokounmpo and Dame Lillard and say that he wouldn't wish it on anyone. No one forced you to take the job, Doc. It's not like you got traded against your will at the deadline, like JJ saying, like, it's not that deep. So that's kind of a weird thing to say. Maybe I have to go back to that and see if it was taken out of out of context. But uh, yeah, it's you're a head coach. You're getting paid millions of dollars. You retired. Like you didn't have to do this. That, I think that's what it comes down to is Doc chose to come back into the NBA. Like someone else would have taken that job if he didn't take that job. So to me, it's kind of one-sided and I don't really see where Doc is coming from on this. Um, Garrett, do you... Where are you on this? Yeah, Dunk. Um, dude, I mean, you have Dame Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo, and you're going to blame the players? Like, I mean, let's talk. Dame 
just got an all-star MVP. Giannis, not too far removed from multiple league MVPs. And you're going to come, you still rocking around with Chris Middleton. You still got Brooke Lopez and you're going to blame the players. Like, like you said, Doug, let's not forget this dude was out of the league. Like he just got canned from his Philly gig. He's just been bouncing around team to team right now. And he really hasn't gotten past the second round. I know that's his curse since friggin' 2008 with my Celtics. Like, I don't know how he's got water to stand to, to, to carry here. He's got no ground to stand on. And I, I hard not to agree with JJ here. I, I think it comes back to why did Doc take this shot? I, I think it, it was a twofold thing. I think he, you know, easy ring, right? I, I think he wants to, he's always attached himself to great plays. I don't know if that's a fault of his own, right? His pedigree of a coach got him the Celtics job, Paul Pierce, you know, that turned into Ray Allen, Kim Garnett. Then he parlays that job into the Clippers job, which, you know, if they, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan. Uh, and then he parlays that into the Sixers job. He then, you know, goes to the media and that wealth of expertise, I, I guess, experience at the very least, gets him this job in Milwaukee. So if it's if it's not for, for the easy ring, was he, you know, to, to quote Scarface, was he given an offer he couldn't? There's a weird thing that happened on my screen. Uh, was he given an offer he couldn't refuse? It, it, like, like full Scarface? I, I, I need to know Doc's full motivation because I don't know. He's, like his head doesn't seem in the game. Like, like, I mean, dude, when you t- are you gonna turn down guaranteed million dollars when we're talking Godfather? Like, I mean, are you gonna say no to? years on years i mean let's look at like freaking what montgomery is doing in with with detroit like you're going to sign an 80 million dollar contract and then phone it in and then get by the way if you get canned you're they're still on the hook to pay you unfathomable amounts of money like i don't know what he was making as an analyst so i can't really say this is an offer you can't refuse but like i mean he was he was on the a team for espn which is a substantial number he was he was on the finals um yeah on the finals broadcast crew, which yes, he's making more money with not with the Milwaukee Bucks. Is he happier? Right? Why do we ask this Hopefully question? Is he not. happy? No one. You know has, no one asked the I guy if he's happy. I know what it is. It's it's spite because Doc Rivers, you know, when he was media and James Harden, like, did the whole thing over the summer and like brought the 76ers down, and everyone was like, "Oh, poor Doc, he had to deal with James Harden." And then James Harden went to the Clippers. And then the Clippers started winning and winning and winning. And people are like, hmm, maybe it wasn't James Harden. Maybe it was Doc Rivers. And now, oh, the Sixers, oh, wait, they look better without James Harden? Yes. Oh, like without Doc? And I think that's got to be a little bit of it because we can say what we want about Doc. He's still a very successful NBA head coach, even if it hasn't been prolonged success into the playoffs. He's got to have some sort of competitive edge where he's like, he needs to prove it to himself. So I, I hope it's like from spite and doing that, but that does not excuse his comments. Um, they still have time to turn it around. Everybody loves a narrative in the NBA. There's nothing that drives guys to succeed like a narrative. So maybe this is just a little, a little bit of spice he can add to the locker room. Interesting decision on his part, I think, but we'll yeah. see where it carries them. I mean, and let's look at Doc Rivers, who's always been touted as like a, a player's coach, you know? So, I mean, Maybe this is less of throwing his players under the bus and saying like, "Hey, fellas, if we really are trying to, you know, win it this year, we got to get our heads in the game more so than we've been doing." You know, maybe he's just giving them, like you say, Duncan, that 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 locker room material, that that spark 
that that just push to get them to drive that much harder. So, I mean, the dude clearly knows what he's doing. He's been in the game coaching longer than all of us and us in our armchairs out here making podcasts. Like, dude knows ball. And whether or not he that can get him out of the second round, like his, which has been his Achilles heel throughout his career, is up remains to be seen whether or not he can prove to himself. But he knows what he's doing. So let's see how it plays out. Yeah. Let's talk about someone who, in my opinion, does not know what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> Kenny the misogynist Smith. Kenny the Jet. Um, <laughs> no, Kenny the Jet Smith, TNT analyst, uh, received a lot of pushback for his all-star stat all-star Saturday night commentary during the Sabrina versus Steph uh, three-point contest because he thought Sabrina should have thought shot from the WNBA three-point line instead of the NBA line, which is about six and a half inches difference or seven and a half inches difference. Um, and in response to the criticism, he said, quote, I think it's much ado about nothing, honestly. Most people who know basketball understand what I was talking about. Actually, I was advocating for her more than anything else because basketball is muscle memory. So he practices from one range, she practices from another. So I'm like, why is Curry getting the advantage to shoot at his line? That's an advantage. It's not gender. It's not genetics. Reading this quote after the fact kind of brings it back a little bit because during the actual broadcast, to me, right, Peter, am I right in saying that this is this is oh. afterwards, right? Yeah. Yeah, this was on uh, the Stephen A. Uh, Smith show yesterday, I believe. Yeah, so he, he reeled it back a little bit. But during the broadcast, in what could, could have and should have been an uplifting moment where we see two like great shooters shoot from the NBA line because Sabrina said she usually shoots from a step back anyways because she's guarded at the line and she's used to having that range and because she knew there's going to be misogynistic comments no matter what she did. Nice. If she used the WNBA th- ball and shot from the WNBA three-point line and beat Steph, people would have found a way to not validate that and be like, oh, she was closer. If she were to use the NBA ball and the NBA line and lose to Steph, the misogynists would have found a way to be like, oh, that's why Steph is better, blah, blah, blah. So I don't think there was really like a true winning scenario for this, um, but not not winning, but like winning against the misogynists, quote unquote. But what Sabrina did was, you know, she decided to shoot from the NBA line. She had a great performance. She knocked down threes. She had 26 points, which was what won the, the men's three-point contest yes. right before. Steph is the greatest shooter of all time in the NBA, and he had 29 points. It was very close. And, like, that was it. It could have been a great moment. But the fact to me that Kenny, during that moment, instead of being a commentator, went to being, uh, like, a – and I don't know, narrator? Like, what was that? It was like he was on the halftime show talking with a panel of people instead of commentating and bring towards it. I don't, to me, he ruined the moment, and it was just very embarrassing. What do you guys think about this? I agree, Duncan. I mean, like, you hear this guy talking, and he's saying after the fact that this is he's trying to support Sabrina. It, it didn't sound like he was trying to support Sabrina at all. You know, whether regardless of what, you know, he was saying, whether or not it's a six-inch difference, he, he's talking about rhythm and all this crap. It sounded like he was trying to put her down at every single turn when he was doing it. Just the the way he was saying it, it wasn't it wasn't comfortable watching for what was like you say an incredible display of athleticism, man. Like yeah. you will knock down twenty six. It was not the time or the moment. I think if he had held on to it and just released this statement here after the fact, yes, it would have been fine. But I don't know. To me, it was just out of touch and out of place. Um, and then it was just awkward that Reggie Miller 
had to confront him. And then yeah. Reggie Miller said something about how Kenny earlier said they were that Sabrina was playing with dolls. I don't know. Very weird and awkward moment. What is your take on this, Peter? Uh, well, first of all, the playing with dolls is a reference that I believe in high school, that was something she was told to do instead of um, playing basketball or trying out for the men's team, something like that. I don't know the full context, nope. but it does allude to something else. Uh, part of my issue is that I think Kenny was just kind of uninformed the whole night, and I think that sort of shown off on this particular segment. Uh, in the dunk contest, at least, he said he was surprised to see that Jaime Jaquez would have been in the dunk contest. He thought he would have been in the three-point contest. Uh, like, I don't want to say it, but dude doesn't know ball completely. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was a little strange. Yeah, I, like, I, I, uh, that's not where he gets the points. No, no. <laughs> no, he's like an in-the-paint kind of guy. You saw it at UCLA. I, I, I think Kenny was... He was just an overall hater all night. I he he, he was hating on the dunk contest, which I mean that that's a whole another can of worms we can get into. But I maybe we just need to mix up the commentary. Like I know Draymond Green, he is a Turner guy. He will certainly be with the network. Dwayne Wade, I when he was with uh, Turner, I thought he was great. Um, now he you know has that associate role with the Jazz, so he he can't have that conflict of interest. Uh, Candace Parker is great. I love Reggie. Reggie's a, he's very well informed because he does game broadcasts. He watches a game. He does game preparation, which is a whole nother level of interest. Um, you know, I, I don't want to come at Kenny because, you know, he's accomplished a lot. He's still very good at what he does, um, but it stood out. And because he's so good at what he normally does, you know, Kenny and, and Chuck and Shaq and Ernie, you know, it yeah. stood out, it, you know, just, just without any hesitation. What gets me the most is like you look at Sabrina, dude. Girl pulls up at half court. Like to say that she like she oh yeah, it's just because she normally practices like six inches closer. It's like sure she does, but this girl has unlimited range, man. Like it's not just your average you know three and D wing player that's coming out and you know hitting the corner threes. Like this girl pulls up from the logo. Like there's a reason it's Sabrina versus Steph. You know it's not like one of the great. She's she's a phenom, right? But it's not like they're bringing out some of like the all-time female greats to to face off against stuff because is she's the, she is the shooter of the moment, you know, and she can do it from anywhere. It's like you've seen Caitlin Clark; she doesn't care where she pulls up. It's insane. Yeah. I think the worst part about it is not even what Kenny said. It's just that it's taking away from it because now instead of talking about Sabrina, everybody's talking about what Kenny said during that. And I'm kind of like honestly, I'm kind of just embarrassed for him too because. I don't think that I think it was the lack of self-awareness while he was saying all that because he didn't really seem it didn't really seem to bother him. Maybe it's because of that freedom that they have on the TNT show that where they can kind of say whatever they want and get away with it. But that's the nature of that show. That's not the nature of the all-star weekend commentary, like action by action, shot by shot commentary. Uh, I'm going to take the final word on this. I just want to kind of put into context and 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 help say like why why what Kenny did necessarily in the moment, you know, I, I think with context, I, I think, you know, he came back around, but, you know, fan favorite, um, show favorite, J.J. Redick, he, he is replacing Doc Rivers on the NBA Finals broadcast crew. He is now the third guy next to Mike Breen and Doris Burke. Um, and as someone who he's such a fan of the game, let alone someone who played, let alone someone who, who now commentates on it, 
he's a fan of the game, and he, and he filmed a little video saying how honored he was. And one of the reasons he was was because as such a fan of the game, he consumes a lot of basketball content, and he understands the history. That's why he's so passionate about all-star voting, why he's had so much due diligence in his all-NBA voting, because he understands this is history. This stuff is really important to people. And the same goes for broadcasts. And he understands that his role, one of the things he cited, why this is so special, is that he will forever be ingrained in history. When you watch back a game, his commentary, that's part of the game. The game, you know, if you watch it on mute, right, doesn't matter. The commentary is ingrained in the history of that game. It's so impossible to separate the game from the TV. That is the product. And so now whenever you watch what was supposed to be a really historic, eventful, first-of-its-kind event in Steph versus Sabrina, which could be the launching board for what could be a different kind of All-Star Weekend um, in combining you know, this growing WNBA product and what seems like the consumer ultimately likes this sort of direction, we will instead, you know, when we end the clip, we'll hear, you know, this weird feud between Reggie and uh, Kenny, and and that'll forever be a part of the history, which I think is a shame for everyone involved. That's well, my, uh, that's my speech. Thank you. Thank you. Not scripted. Uh, okay, so we're gonna move on to our uh, for to our big segment of the day. It's called Dunk Tank. We're doing a parody on Shark Tank because I we said right we could open the can of worms with the dunk contest. That's what we're gonna do. So this is our first iteration of Dunk Tank. This is a show where guests make their pictures in a Shark Tank like style, and uh, the panel of judges, which today is me and me only, uh, I am going to criticize, comment, and review each pitch before. I ultimately pick a winner. So yes, today's pitchies then will be Duncan and Garrett. Our theme today will be revolving around All-Star Weekend, between the game itself, the skills competition, I guess the commentary, right? A big topic. Uh, and the dunk contest. A lot of room to be improved. I'm excited to see what you guys have to come up with. Uh, Garrett is more so the guest here today than Duncan, the regular co-host. So that means, uh, Duncan, you, do, uh, you will be going first, so... I'm excited for your pitch. All right. So I'm going to preface it a little bit. I focused on the all-star game itself because to me, although there's problems with the dunk contest and the skill contest and the three-point contest, those are a little more enjoyable. Um, I think Jalen Brown participating was a step in the right direction, even though his dunks were a little underwhelming. But what I had the most problem with was the all-star game itself. So I've identified three main things that are wrong with it. A couple of things we can do to mitigate that, and then one big thing to really change it all. So first, the player is not trying hard enough. Let's have the players play for the names on the front of their jerseys, not the names on the back. I'll let Grant Williams. Thank you, Grant Williams. Um, uh, Charlotte Hornets legend. Have the home team wear their normal white jerseys. So if the East is hosting, like you know Indianapolis, they're wearing the whites. And then the away team, the West, they're wearing their individual away jerseys. So, you know, Kevin Durant is wearing his son's jersey. LeBron is wearing the away Lakers jersey. And it would be sick. And, you know, it might be a little bit confusing on the court, but at least it's like white. Everyone's wearing white. And then everyone's wearing not white. And it's the all-star game. We can figure it out and decide who's on which team and not mess it up. I think they're smart enough to do that. So I think this would be really sick. Um, maybe, you know, maybe we flip it. Maybe the home is the Jersey. So that way, you know, the home crowd gets to cheer for like, like Tyrese Halliburton is like 
going crazy in India. And every time he hit a three, the crowd was cheering and going nuts. And he was amazing. And that fed into, I think that was one of the best parts of the all-star game was whenever he did something cool. So, you know, kind of play into that and play into like the cities that they're representing. Also Tyrese, I'm, I'm leaning fully into the mayor. That's his nickname. He's the mayor of Indianapolis, Tyrese, the mayor. I, I've seen a couple clips of it where Tyrese Maxey is like, what's all this traffic? Aren't you the mayor of this place? So yeah, Hallie, the mayor, um, lean into that. That's fun. All right. Number two, players wow. going for the MVP. What is that? Why is it like in the second quarter of the all-star game, Dame bricks like three threes in a row, makes one three, and the commentators are like, I don't know if it's commentators, I don't know if it's Twitter, wherever it is, saying, oh, Dame's really going for all-star MVP. He hit the two half-court shots, which were very cool, very nice, but he had seven fewer points than Tyrese, the hometown, the mayor, and uh, Tyrese shot 71% from three, and Dame shot 48%. Like, it's fine. You know, it's like if you actually watch the entire 40 minutes of the All-Star game or 48 minutes, I forget if it was 12 minutes or 10 minutes, quarters, like you just, you see a lot of bricks from Dame before you see a lot of threes go in. And the threes going in were really, were really nice, but it was a lot, a lot that was there. So to me, I don't know what you do. I think Cap could have, should have been talked about more for MVP because he was really trying hard. He wasn't like going for the award. He was just dunking as hard as he could. He had 50 off the bench. He was having a ton of fun. So that was more entertaining to me than Dame hitting those threes. But, you know, I don't know what the solution is. Maybe just get rid of the All-Star Game MVP. But don't have players, like, go for the MVP because you kind of have some, like, fabricated stuff going on. Number three, no defense commentary. How many, this is some trivia for you guys, of the top ten favorites, or top five, let's do top five favorites for Defensive Player of the Year this year, how many of those players are All-Stars? Give, give me hands, give me hands, give me hands. One through five. It's got to be zero. Zero? It was one. Bam was Adebayo one. is in fifth oh. place at like plus 20,000. Not that much, but you know, at very long odds. It's Rudy Gobert, Jared Allen, Wemby, Chet, then Bam, then AD. So that's two all-stars. Derek White, Porzingis, Brook Lopez, and then very far is Giannis. So three all-stars in the top 10. We're not rewarding defense to be all-stars, which is fine. We can do that. And then when there's no defense in the all-star game, when we're not voting the best defenders to be all-stars, and we have 24 of the best scorers in the league playing in a game where the out of the 10 best defenders, only three of them are there, and we're confused when they're scoring 200 points. To me, it's not that they're not. It's just math. You know, you're having quite literally the 24 best scorers in the league because out of those 10 um, players – that were in top in defense player of the year, uh, AD and Giannis are still scorers. Bam, maybe not as much of a scorer. But, like, you know, you have Bam. Is he the only non-true like true scorer that was in the All-Star game? Might be, and he's still putting up, like, 20 points a game. So you have 12 players who all put up 20 points a game on each team, 24 players, all playing, like, decent minutes. Yeah, the math is just going to be, so that's going to be close to 200 points. So to me, you just kind of... I don't know what the solution is for that, but it's not that there's no defense. It's just we reward offense because offense is fun, and that's what the All-Star game is. So my overall solution, I think, will fix these three things. It's drastic, but very simple. Only the winning team is eligible for max contract extensions. <laughs> oh, my God. Because <laughs> th- think about it. Think about, let's think about it. Oh All right. <laughs> this actually won't affect that many of the players because – there's only a small group, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, but from what I understand, 
getting all NBA gets you the supermax, right? But if you're not all NBA, being an all-star in two out of three years or one out of three years, whatever the rules are, can get you the max extension. So out of the all-stars, 15 of them are going to be first, second, third team all NBA out of the 24 players. And that's nine players left, let's say four on each team, that this would actually affect. So like the LaMelo Balls, the Scotty Barnes, the Trey Youngs, who are all-stars but not going to be all-NBA. So this isn't affecting a huge group of them, but you know the East are going to be maybe playing a little harder because these players have millions of dollars on the table maybe. Um, and it, it means a little bit more. It might be a little wild. Like I know it's very drastic, but I honestly think that the impact wouldn't be that crazy. And those players would actually care. And maybe their teammates on those teams would be like, oh yeah, like I want to get my guy like his money. Let me try a little harder. So there it is. That's my, that's my thing. Comments, questions, concerns. I'm ready to hear it. I have an extremely large concern, Duncan. <laughs> what is it? Me too. You're concerned about Damian Lillard chucking threes in the second quarter, and then he gets hot. First of all, for a guy who's a first-time starter, so this is a starter chucking. That's okay? start? Yes, because well, he's in the West, so he's behind Steph, and he was behind Russ for a while. He's, you know, West yeah. loaded. Guard heavy for forever. So you're concerned about Dame for as he is, he was, you know, one of the, you know, the quote, best 10 players. Well, maybe not true, but sure. One of the best 10 players. Um, under, under your current pitch, right? We would just have, instead of Dame chucking threes, you would have Trey Young doing that. You'd have Scotty Barnes, who, oh who had quite the performance in the skills competition. I'll put it at that. You would have him chucking. You want worse players chucking? Because that's what it is. Because, you know, Jason Tatum, he's all NBA. He doesn't need to put in the effort. Giannis, right? If, if this is, we want the stars to really put in the effort. We're, based off your pitch, uh, to put it kindly, you're having the end of bench players putting the most work. I, it, it seems no, no, flawed. It's, it's a team result, though, you know? The bench players are still, like, you know, the kind of, like, Un, in like it's not like formal like informally capped for minutes because they're not starters it's giving them a team goal to get that um so i'm never concerned about how um some of the guys at the end of the bench and their performances tyrese maxi tries in the all-star game that's that's not the issue jalen brown tried very hard he was not a starter um yeah he had 30 right jalen brown i think um some some of the guys um, in the West off the bench, um, boy, I really should know this. Carlton Towns, you you, you said it earlier. You know he had he had what like forty plus? Did he had fifty. He had fifty. Yeah, he had, he yeah. 50, man. yeah. He had fifty off the bench, right? Uh, he was the reserve. I mean, they I were fun say, to watch. They were fun to watch. But is that is that who you want? Like running the All Star game instead of Kevin Durant and and LeBron? LeBron who does his three dunks and checks himself out. I mean, I guess my argument is is that it's not making that much of a difference in that sense because LeBron, regardless, is going to do that and be out. But at least the minutes we get of players actually playing are like playing defense, walking up, like really trying to play to the full their full potential and be out there. Um, and also, like I think in the case where like 
you know, you've got a teammate who's in the All-Star game with you who's going to be eligible for that but not eligible for All-NBA. Then you're going you're going a little harder. You want to get your friend some money. You know, a former teammate of this or that. And again, I guess there could be the case where there's someone you really don't like and just bricking shots, although I don't think the NBA players would do that. I think that's a little too far in that direction. I see what you're uh, saying, Peter. But, like, my <laughs> argument is that, like, LeBron, either way, he was out after, like, what, 12 minutes or something like that? And so mm-hmm. at least the minutes that we get afterwards are actually competitive and there's real basketball. And also guys like LeBron, if people are actually playing to win something, he's going to play. We saw it in the in-season tournament. Like, he's going to play if the, the result actually means something. I do challenge you with this. The winners of the in-season tournament got money. Each player on the team got money. That was it. Straight up a check for winning. Why don't you just do that for the All-Star game? Why, why are you tying it to what could amount to like $50 million, the difference in like a Supermax. Like it's 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 uh, it's a interesting strategy to, to, to go with in your picture. I mean, what amount of money would make a it million bucks. for the All-Stars? A million bucks for everyone? It's a couple cars? Yeah, I guess so. But you know, like Jalen Brown makes that in seven days. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't dispute that, but you know, maybe that's a million dollars towards his uh, foundation, his work in the community. True, but we tried that format where the winning team gets money towards their community, their charity and of choice. They still did that this year too. They said, oh. um, "Blank them kids," I guess. <laughs> At least the West did. Not a lot of effort. Okay, <laughs> so, so uh, pros and cons to your pitch. Pros, I do think you somehow found an like an, uh, an access to my brain with the jerseys thing. That is like my number one hill to die on. Um, bring back That's original jerseys. Uh, that the MLB All Star Game always did that, and they recently did away with that. And I think it's abysmal. Um, yeah, wear your regular jerseys. They used to in the two thousands. There was a stretch where yes. where. Um, you know, the, yeah, the home team, you know, like the East or something, wore their whites, and the road team wore their, wore their away, their colored jerseys. I think it's brilliant. Um, so fantastic idea. The money thing, that is certainly a take to have. Um, uh, I do think we need to solve some of this, like where the max money is coming from, right? It's been tied to awards. You know, even Zach Lowe forfeited his, his vote because he doesn't like the guilt that comes with that. Um and then, you know, putting it behind all-star voting, which has fan voting. It's like, interesting. The, the hoops we have to get through. In a way, my vote can influence how much money someone's making. Interesting. Um, uh, but uh, neither here nor there. Um, well, we, we now have to go to Garrett's pitch. We have to see uh, what radical ideas he has to shake up all-star weekend um, before, um, I guess, I guess you could cross interrogate at the end. I don't know. It's not that okay. kind of thing. Okay, cool. Um, I got some questions about the the formatting here because I had some things I would like. I wanted to ask Duncan, but great. We'll get that at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so here's your pitch. Here's my pitch. So maybe not as you know fiscally drastic as Duncan's is, <laughs> though. I do highlight the same issues with the game and the the weekend at large is is like you say. Like, Players don't play hard because, you know, it's an extra game for them. It's it's not something that has any stakes in it. It's they, they, There's no defense, and they, they, they got no skin in the game for this, you know? And so I can understand why, you know, Duncan, you're tying it to money here. But I want to – I think the best product that we get as basketball content consumers, right, is playoff basketball. 
games that matter, games with players buy in that want to be there, that know that there's something, there's something to lose, there's something to win. There's there's this vying for glory. And so instead of money, I'm going as an incentive, I'm going for glory. I'm going as my other motivator, shame. And we'll get to that because I want to do, I want to see high intensity playoff like basketball with sticks that matter. And what I want to see is a 1v1 tournament. I'm trying, I'm still working out the kinks of how that logistically could happen. But maybe over the stretch of All-Star Weekend, right, you can still have the All-Star Game with, you know, as it's been doing for years now. But what the real, the real piece de resistance here is a 1v1 style tournament showing the best of the best going at the best head to head. And I think that way, when you're playing with like, you know, like bragging rights, oh my God, I can't let Duncan drop the, like, you know, seven straight on the other. How I'm, a, I'm, I'm an All-Star and I'm letting him do that to me. You got to want guys to defend, put their name on the line, right? Like we're talking, what do you give to the man who has everything, who can buy, you know, five cars, five insane cars worth of stuff with his seven-day salary, right? Have them be like, oh, Jalen Brown giving me 15 right now. Like I, I need to like turn up the defense, you know? Like I need to actually like play because this is this is me going at you, you going at me. It's an intense thing, you know? And I play pickup here. It can get pretty, it can get hot, you know? And that's just with dudes that are just doing this for fun for the sport that it is, let alone the best competitors that the game has seen at that level. I think that would be great. And the way you could do it, you could either do position versus position, all-star starters versus their reserves in a seeding kind of style tournament. Or what I think would be really unique would be like a king of the hill kind of challenge based style to make it happen. Or let's say the reigning MVP, maybe. Like, so we got you got a beater Jokic out there, comes on the court, and you gotta beat him and get on there and keep it happening. And you know, he might get tired, but he's going until he can't go. All of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, hold on. Embiid's giving me, you know, point for point. Like I gotta go take that from him. You know, I wanna be the best. And think about what this would do for all-time player rankings. It's like, oh, we have a lot of discourse going back ages. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff like who's top 10? What's Is Steph making the jump to, you know, all-time contention? Imagine Steph versus LeBron, 1v1. LeBron's got the size. Steph can pull up from anywhere. Doesn't matter. You want to settle things like this? You want to see the best go at it with the best? Challenge, king of the hill, 1v1, any of these kind of formats to make it work. I think that's how you can see intense defense, just great playoff style basketball where every point matters, play play to whatever. That way you can get all-star content at the league. For the game itself, I would think one one elegant solution for the game proper, I would think to just kind of more otherwise further incentivize the game, because I feel like this could all still happen concurrently, is... Maybe just have like an MLB style, hey, you're in. And if we sit you out, you're not coming back in the game, you know? Because, you know, pitchers, all position players in the MLB, they all come in and they're all like, well, hey, you're going to make the most of these at-bats that you got because we're pulling you out. We're putting one of the other all-stars back in here, giving your minutes, you know? So if LeBron comes in, does his three dunks and dips, he's cool with that. But let's suppose you're Tyrese Maxson. You want to make a splash. Be like, yeah, I deserve to be here. Let me make this happen. I'm going to go do some great stuff. You know what I mean? And then Duncan, the jersey idea, mwah, bellissimo. I love it. I put that in there too. But eventually with a, a one, but in summary, we want intense basketball, defense, playoff kind of vibe to do it. And I think a 1v1 tournament would be great to start. 
And even if you want to let it grow and we see like more involved All-Star Weekend stuff with Seth versus Sabrina, you want to eventually let this grow. You can get your G League guys involved. You can make them like one of your March Madness kind of style brackets where you're like, oh, yeah, we have these guys going at it too. Let them get like a playing seat for this thing. Let the best of the best of the G League get involved and see how they stack up between the All-Stars. You know what I mean? Give them a shot. Why not? Because the Rising Stars game has been great content to watch. And you see all these guys come in and do the skill position stuff at the skill part of me at the skills contest. And you see like guys like Mac McClung, who otherwise aren't really in the league, come in and win the dunk contest. I think getting more people involved and if you eventually want to expand this kind of tournament style of setting will be great for the league. In short, intense, 1v1, guts for glory, and then, you know, thrill. Thrill of victory and the agony of defeat are your best motivators to get people doing their best at the All-Star game. That's my pitch. Okay, congrats on the pitch. Good job, Garrett. Thank you. All right, a couple of things here. I feel like I'm like a bad teacher or something. I'm like, great, you did a good job, but... So here's the but. <laughs> 1v1 tournament. Fantastic theater. Only thing. We can't get stars to do the dunk contest, not necessarily because they'll lose, but that is an element, but maybe because they'll get booed by the fans, also because they can lose. There's a lot of vulnerability, and it's them against, essentially, them against the opinions of judges. It's barely even, yes, it was Jalen Brown versus Mac McClung, but the nature of the contest is it's you against the opinions of the judges. How are we going to convince these players who are so concerned about their own legacies to expose themselves by going up 1v1 against their brethren and against their the highest skilled uh, peers of their sport. Well, these guys are all competitors, you know? If you're gonna if you're gonna talk to these guys like, hey, you wanna make a name for yourself, you can make this happen. Who's not gonna want to leap at the opportunity to do that, you know? And I can understand like the the being kind of fragile with your legacy and making it happen. But no one, like we were talking about Steph versus Sabrina earlier, right? And how we're saying it's kind of a no-lose, no-win situation for her just being able to come in and do this kind of thing. But for her to come in, drop 26, which would beat any of the other Jamokes in the three-point contest, and only lose to the greatest shooter, three-point shooter of all time in Steph Curry by three points, dude, that's legacy points added. You know what I mean? Like, you can have a good loss. You can have a close game. No one's going to, like, if you, if it's, like, a close game between two people, no one's going to be like, oh, my God, you know, so-and-so got blown out by the reigning MVP, you know? Maybe they do. And then that just gives all of us to do enjoy it even more. But if you're that player, you know, you'd be like, yeah, okay, you know, Kevin Durant's Kevin Durant, but I gave him seven in a row and still lost. You can point to that and have that you know, feather in your cap the rest of your career, you know? But in terms of getting people to do it, I think it's less of the motivation and more of the wear and tear in your body. So I can understand where you're coming from at that point, where it's hard to get people to try and to do a, an 83rd game, let alone an all-star tournament. But I feel like if you made the all-star starters have to do it, right? It's like, this is a fan thing. Who do you want to see in this? Oh, by the way, they got to do this tournament. You know, they got to do it. Okay. Um, I think the 1v1 tournament, I think depending on how we scale it can work. I think we do four East, four West. I think we have to keep it small. So therefore we'll do a single elimination bracket style. The most games any one player can play would therefore be three, which I think is, is, is a good number. 
I think yeah. like the idea of doing it for like every All Star is sick, right? It's like you know, it's like just like you said with the sort of like King King of the Hill, King of the Court sort of style. But mm-hmm. you did you did you know uh, answer your own problem really? And you said with the fatigue, right? If, y- yeah. if Jokic's gonna tap himself out after five minutes, um, the injury risk will never happen due to the King of the Hill. Nice idea. Um, I, I do think a, a scaled version of the 1v1 tournament, um, I think, is an interesting Saturday night competition. The rules would be interesting because if we're doing, mm-hmm. right, so that'd be like one, two, three, four, five, that'd be seven games of 1v1. Like, how long is this taking, right? This is entertainment, yeah. right? People need to stay intrigued. Um, but I like it. Okay. Um, so, do uh, um, I'm trying to think here. I've got something real quick, if that's okay. Going off of your 1v1 idea, Garrett. This is totally impractical and illogical. But how cool would it be? The TV event of the weekend, 24 hours straight, a marathon of you get as many people, NBA players as you can in those 24 hours to vlog the entire thing, like have it be entirely on like one free channel doing the 1v1 like think about it the global event that would be and it's just like it's like four regions and yes. it's like it's like four six hour stints and then the day later at sunday whatever then you have like the four champions of each region do like the final bracket against each other think about how many people watch march madness dude people yeah. watch more march madness in the super bowl dude, right. i would be glued to my phone to watch like kai no. jones versus like trey young you know like that would be sick. i mean i don't think this could ever happen but 24 hours straight of that that'd be so cool completely agree i have three ideas okay i know this isn't about me i just want to float these out these are a little different I, I, this is this is a blue sky podcast okay any any ideas are good first idea I want to do an alumni game. I want to do an old man's game, right? Almost every sport does this sort of thing. Basketball can yeah. work. We see Kevin Garnett there. We see Dirk. We see Pau Gasol at all these events. These guys can play. Basketball is a game that can age. <laughs> the NBA loves celebrating its its um, its history and its relatively young history, right? If you look at maybe the top 50 players, 75, really, I, I suppose they just did this. Um, most of them are live. Most of the, of the NBA greats. Yes. Oscar isn't going to go out there and play, right? Oscar Robson's not going to play. <laughs> It'd be great to see big O out there though. I can run the point. He's got some size. He could, he could put Jalen Brunson in the post. You can post uh, somebody. Yeah. I, I think this would be a really interesting idea. I think this is more of a, a nerdy idea for me. Second idea. I don't know how familiar you guys are with wrestling. I'm not, but I know this. There's an event called the Royal Rumble. Don't know if you guys know how the Royal Rumble works. No. But there's, it's like cages that open. There's cages. There's like, let's, okay. I apologize to the wrestling fans listening as I butcher this. There's 30 cages. And as each one open up, in, uh, a, a wrestler will come out of cage number one. Who knows who it is? And then one will come out from number two. They'll fight. One, okay. you know, one will leave the ring or wrestle. I don't know. It's all theater. Uh, one will, you know, one will tap out. Then, then cage number three uh, opens. Oh, who is it? It's Roman Reigns. Oh, my God. I want a 1v1 tournament with this. The first cage opens. It's Trey Young. Oh, my God. 
Second Birdies cage opens. <laughs> yeah, it, it's Embiid. It's like, oh my god, Embiid's in the second cage. You know, you get all the way and the, the you know number thirty opens. It's LeBron. Oh my god, they got LeBron. You could have this be non all stars. You could you know, you could have uh, uh, Benedict Matherin, right, who's there for rising stars and all that. Uh, I think pure theater. Um, I think this is a, a non paper idea. That'd be sick. And I do have a third actual idea. I want to merge everyone's ideas in a way. I want to do an NHL-style all-star tournament. This replaces the game. So, uh, Jake J. Reddick, I, I swear, I need to like do a drinking game at home. Every time I say Jake J. Reddick, take a shot. Uh, you guys be hearing. I know. You guys will be rolling. So, he thinks all-star games are 12-man rosters. They used to be, by based off the size of the NBA, that used to be a larger percentage of the NBA. He he proposes that NBA or sorry All Star Game rosters should be fifteen. My proposal, get it to fourteen. You're probably like, why not do fifteen? Well, what we're doing is we're doing a Rising Stars style All Star Game tournament. East on one side of the bracket, West on on the other side. Two teams of seven on each. And because it's seven, we're still doing 5v5, by the way. What that means is everyone is pretty much playing. You can't not play if it's teams of seven that face off. I don't know how you do captains. You can bring that back, whatever. I wasn't really concerned about that. But you get seven, so you get the uh, everyone's playing. We, we get away from this. Jimmy Butler doesn't play the all-star game stuff. And we do Elam Ending, which has given us some of the best all-star game moments. And Rising Stars. Uh, we yeah. saw like Benedict Mathrum was, was talking crap with, with Jaden Ivey. Um, I think this can solve our, our people not playing because everyone has to play. Um, it can solve our theater because that is three games in that. Um, you know, that's three game winners possibly. Um, and in the new format, I think it's a little more street volley. So, um, you know, if you play to 21, right? Super street volley, I think it can fix that. But this isn't about me. We're going to get back to... Hey, great uh, idea, by the way. As me and Dunk here are your, your judges to hear, I think, you know, A-plus for effort. <laughs> you gave three fabulous alternatives here. But I realize it's not our, our tank for us. You're, you're the judge. No, this is the Dunk tank. So this is my opportunity to choose the winner. Um, this is taking a long time, so no cross-examinations, guys. I appreciate the, the uh, enthusiasm, though. So... Duncan, you pitched an idea based off player incentive, based off uh, monetary contracts, um, excelling to the supermax for those um, on the winning team. You also proposed bringing back uh, classic jerseys, right? Going back to players wearing their own jerseys to bring back a sense of pride. I thought that was great. I think you had some room to improve on the contract side. Garrett. You went extremely radical with a 1v1 tournament to bring back a sense of competitiveness and a sense of pride. Again, very radical idea. You also proposed um, going with a possible King the Hill format in which um, you know players have to earn their right on the court and we get some great individual matchups. Um, and there, again, is that sense of pride and accomplishment. It's very tough, chefs. Um, you know, two great meals. Unfortunately, one does have to go home today. But that also means we do get to have one winner. The winner today is Mr. Garrett Collins. 
Well done, Garrett. Well done. Thank you, fellas. Thank you. I'm honored. I'm honored. All we've all we've seen this weekend is we have a very flawed product, and I think you know Garrett laid the cojones out to uh, to make some real real change. Duncan, I, I welcome your ideas. I think they can be implemented, but I, I don't think you you stretch the well. I think you stretch the boundaries in the wrong way. Uh, <laughs> all I'm saying is that they would be playing hard. We would oh. see Trey god young out there uh playing for the win you know the spirit was there it was a little misguided <laughs> uh well garrett uh is there anything you'd like to say for uh for your first win in the first ever edition of the dunk tank well peter like it's award season i'd like to thank the academy and mom and you know molly and all that stuff but no it thanks so much for having me on the podcast and being able to do it like a, a great bit like this this has been fun and you know i think it's especially with all-star weekend having just gone by there's a lot of room for improvement as we plainly saw and i think a lot of these different ideas are floating through everybody's mind so thanks for giving me an outlet to instead of stare at and yell at my screen to be able to you know talk to you guys about it and float some stuff your way so thank you i really appreciate the opportunity this isn't a bit this is serious stuff this is, this is <laughs> critical drama um, well, as we are wrapping up the show, it is time for another edition of The Step Back. This is a segment we recently introduced where we, we revisit old takes of ours to see how wrong or right we were. Uh, today's take, it goes back to our July 7th episode. That's episode 51, where Dan and I, Dan, uh, will be back on the show soon. Don't worry. We graded the most significant transactions of the offseason. We gave them all grades. Uh, and so I want to review some of the notable grades that we gave out. Uh, first, Dallas, uh, the Dallas Mavericks acquired Grant Williams. I know, he's already on another team. Crazy. Uh, they acquired Grant on a four-year, $54 million contract as part of a sign-and-trade for Reggie Bullock, a future pick swap, and three second-round picks. We gave that a B plus. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, they signed Malik Beasley for to a one-year, $2.71 million contract. We gave that a B. And the Washington Wizards, they re-signed Kyle Kuzma for a uh, four-year, $102 million deal. We gave that a B plus. You know, I'm just going to, uh, you know, toss it right over to you, Duncan. I'm sure you have some opinions on Charlotte Hornet selection, Grant Williams. And I know he's been a great Hornet, I guess. Um, and you got him for, for a bargain. That means the Mavericks did not. What do you think about this whole Grant scenario, this whole saga that went down? You know, I think it could still work out for the Mavericks. But it's just kind of weird when you put it into context that if you combine what you paid for Grant and then PJ, it's three seconds, a pick swap, and a top two protected first, as well as um, Seth Curry as well, who I know is a throw-in, but he's still something, um, for PJ Washington. I like PJ Washington. He has not quite been that guy in Dallas yet. I know it's been early, but he was uh, having trouble staying consistent on the Charlotte Hornets. Um you know, it is a very volatile franchise, so you can point to that a little bit for that kind of thing. And you know, PJ could turn it around, but that is a big price to pay for someone who hasn't quite proven themselves yet. I have faith in PJ, and it could work out, but just in terms of draft asset-wise and what you gave up to get him, I would give this maybe a B-. minus. Like, it's got potential, but just on paper, you could have just had PJ for, you know, three seconds and a pick swap maybe. Like, who knows? Like on paper it's not fantastic well uh garrett you were someone who um 
uh, like Celtics. I don't know where it's going with that. Uh, you are you are a Celtics uh, fan. <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, so you know Grant Williams has traded in his jersey twice within about a, a six month span. Uh, where do you stand on on the Celtics legend? Celtics legend Grant Williams, the Batman. I'm a huge fan. I've always been a big Grant stan for a while. He's a goofball player. He's a chattermouth. He, he feels like the kind of guy that I would love to play a board game with. And he's a big board game fan, so I feel like it'd be a great time. Grant, you know, for all of these wonderful traits that I enjoy about him, I am not an NBA player who is, you know, cut from the same competitive cloth that somebody who's, you know, talking as much shit as Grant Williams is and delivering at the level that Grant Williams is, is there's a bit of a discrepancy there. And you saw it is his Celtics tenure. He started out kind of rough. He missed his like first 25, three point attempts, became a sniper, became a really good three and consummate three and D player. And I think the potential is there, but in the contract year, he really tried to do too much for himself. So I feel like, and I feel like he tried to be that version of him that was doing, you know, far more than I think anyone was asking him to in Dallas, in, which is a completely different system than the Celtics, where Luka is the focal point, the maestro of your offense, and he just need, he all Luka needs you to do is play hard D, get in a corner, and be the sniper that you are. You know what I mean? That way you're a great player for, for Luka. But if you're not hitting shots and you're not defending well, what are you really giving and bringing to the table? Especially if those are your calling cards for us to pay you, speaking of the Mavericks now, four years, 450 million. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it, I can imagine how Grant Williams as a player would be grating to be on and have as a teammate rather than a great teammate to have when he's, you know, still being himself, which is a person I really enjoy. But when you're not backing it up with good play, it's, I can see how that could lend itself to some frustrations because he started out pretty well for the Mavs, but then just lost its touch. He got in a shooting slump or whatever and hasn't been able to get right. And so when it rains, it pours for Grant, but he gets to go back home to Charlotte. So he's, he's a Carolina guy. So it's a homecoming for him. I think he's going to be a really nice piece for a nice Hornets team that needs good forwards. Now and I, I always kind of like PJ Washington. I had him on a fantasy team a couple years back. So I, I tentatively followed his career. But, you know, he's another, Duncan, correct me if I'm wrong, another 3 and D guy, but he's got a little more potential than Grant does because Grant doesn't really have the bounce or the athleticism to really yeah. push his ceiling forward like PJ does, right? Yeah, I feel like he's he could be Michael Porter Jr. Uh, with maybe a little more defense and a little less, like, I don't know. Like, he has that's the build. a good he's player. Like, oh, my God, that would be fantastic. It is. Yeah, I mean, in, in the best-case scenario, you know, like, he has the size. He can hit it from three consistently. He can have huge nights, mm-hmm. but he's not doing that every night. He can also go three of, you know, 11 from three and be like, oh, cool. Yeah, Doug, isn't his career high like something upwards mid-30s or something, I want to say? Yeah. He had like a random like 40-point game. I think so, yeah. he He's capable. I like P.J. Washington. Don't get me wrong. Apparently he was teary-eyed in the airport as he was leaving Charlotte. Like he's a guy you want on your team to like play for them. And like yeah. he's not someone you want to let go. Like I was not like, let's trade PJ Washington for Grant Williams. But you know, I think asset wise, this was a better deal for the Hornets in the long run. I do think it's uh, uh, worth mentioning. I, I should correct my my clerical error. 
Uh, you acquired Grant Curry, so you, you acquired two Curries in that transaction, Duncan. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. Um. Uh, uh, uh. No, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say the Dell Curry and Seth Curry going crazy on all the Hornets media. There's all sorts of giveaways for uh, number thirty jerseys because Seth is wearing his dad's number. That's signed by both of them. So like, oh, it's wonderful. just you know. It, Seth to the Hornets means more than Seth to any other team. So I think that's like, there's value in that for the Hornets. Um, and like, they have like a semblance of maybe an identity, which they haven't had since probably Kemba was there or since they made the play in that one year in 2019, <laughs> 2021. Wow. I don't even know. That's uh, five years ago now. Crazy. Dude, what a funny sentence. Since <laughs> they made the play in that time a couple of years ago. Uh, well, it's the small victories for, for franchises like the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, about the other two uh, uh, deals. Yeah, Milwaukee, uh, they, they did sign Malik Beasley on essentially a minimum deal. Um, he was traded in the whole Russell Westbrook uh, like big three-way deal before last year's deadline. He didn't really play for the Lakers. He didn't really get playing time. Didn't make sense for me at the time. I, I'm a known Malik Beasley supporter. Uh, Dan is a known Malik Beasley hater, so you know he he was he was celebrating. But Malik, he's been a fantastic infusion of youth and shooting for the Bucks that desperately need maybe not the shooting now with Damian Lillard, but they needed some sort of spark. He was in the three point contest. Um, I think he's been a fantastic signing. He'll almost assuredly leave and make more money elsewhere. So us giving that a B, um, I probably bump it up more towards the A range. Absolutely. Um, and then just uh, Kuzma, real quick. I know you're probably looking at he made he's making 25 million a year, and we gave him a B plus. And why are we talking about this? Well, almost every team in the league that needed some sort of wing was eyeing Kyle Kuzma at the deadline. The Dallas Mavericks were one of them. It was reported that they called him up and they said, "Hey, how much is Kuzma?" And Washington said, "More than you have." <laughs> um, so I, Kyle Kuzma. He has a lot of fans around the league. I think not. he's grown a lot as a player since then, but what he showed in his time with the Lakers and winning championship with the Lakers, I think a lot of teams still think there's some sort of level of championship DNA in there. Um, and then at, at his size and skill level and as a shooter that uh, he could be a real asset. So at the, at the very minimum, if it doesn't lead to winning in Washington, uh, I think it's an asset they could they could turn into some real substance at the end of the day. Yeah, especially with a lot of teams who are going to have a lot more picks to trade coming this offseason. Um, I think the Lakers will have three picks available again. Um, the Bucks as well, not saying he would go there, but like, you know, a lot of those high-level teams will finally have some some chips to throw in for a player like Goose. So I think it's smart on the Wizards to wait. And yeah, I think B-plus, that's fine, right? Would you give that more than a B-plus? I think I think I'd go more towards an A because what else is Washington spending money on right now? Um, I, I think at the time I don't know if they had traded Bradley Beal, so I, I think we might have been a little more hesitant. Uh, mm. I, I can't remember, but you know, getting that asset back when what else you're just gonna let a walk and and you know sometimes the big money contracts like like Jordan Poole you know can be like more of a negative asset. I think with Kuzma, it's it's still very much a positive. Yeah. I mean, what team in the league doesn't want a Kyle Kuzma right now? 
I mean, I don't think the Celtics would want him, but um, yeah, I mean, the Celtics don't really have room for him in a rotation right now. No, no. Um, but you are right. Yeah, the, the, a player who can score at all three levels, who is who is bigger, doesn't mean he can necessarily play defense, but he is, you know, more around the six nine, six ten range. Uh, yeah, he's a real player. Probably. He gives you a lot of wiggle room. It makes up for a lot. Yeah, and his talents are so great that the Wizards can still have a tradable asset while tanking at the same time. So I think that's the greatest thing is that he's good enough to have value, but not good enough to get them a bad draft pick. So it's maybe a little higher for the Wizards, but maybe not for the reasons we thought. Maybe it is. A, I agree. It might be closer to the A. Hey, you, you can win in a myriad of ways in this league, and, and <laughs> that could be the Kyle Kuzma contract. Last thing before we end the show, we're going to read last week's poll from Spotify and another poll we did on Instagram. Uh, I think we're going to do some more Instagram polls because um, I think the people interact with it more there than on Spotify. Because guess what? You can listen to us anywhere. That's why. Shameless plug. Some people listen to us on Apple, Spotify, you know, quite literally wherever you get your podcast. So first, the Spotify poll to get out of the way. Uh, our last episode, episode 61, we talked a lot about uh, Joel Embiid's injury and what it meant uh, for the MVP award race. Uh, our poll was then asking, who is your current M- uh, MVP? Was it still Joel Embiid? Is it maybe Nikola Jokic, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Luka Doncic, Giannis, Tatum, Jalen uh, Brunson, who was very high in the odds at that point? The results uh, was a dead tie between Jokic and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, see me as you weren't on the podcast to uh, weigh in. Garrett, where would you stand right now? Who's your MVP? That's a tough one. I mean, I think the heart's still saying it's Jokic because the dude's playing out of his mind, but when we're talking about people play out of their mind, Shay, holy smokes. That man has got it. And I feel like I feel like it's it's he's really coming to his own of that OKC team. And now they've they they dropped in the standings from you know at the peak of their prow- powers at the beginning of the season, but what they're only at what like three now two? I think they're the two seed, dude. Yeah, it's it's them and the wolves, right? So I feel like honestly, Nuggets dropping a bit in the standings might give the edge to Shea, but I just feel like when we look at MVP really being what the most valuable player, that team, the Nuggets, they got some pieces. They got Jamal. They got Aaron Gordon. KCP is no slouch either, but Jokic is that team, right? Like we see, he, he does everything. You know, it's really hard to to not give it to, the nod to Nikola Jokic for me. I mean, Shea, he's been phenomenal. Like the dude can drop twenty shots on twenty four attempts and just blow you out of the waters. Two way player, dishes it, gets boards, does everything. He's got so many that, – that Thunder team is so freaking deep. They've been, like, front-loading talent just organically the past couple of years now, and it, it's really bearing the fruits of a lot of good drafts. I just think – I mean, Jalen Williams is on that team, and he's – no one's really talking about how good he is, but he's been a revelation. And they, they just – every they're missing everything but a center. And you guys highlighted it the last podcast. Like, Steven Adams would have been a great fit for them. But, I mean, Chet, he's – I feel like – Big boy, more of a power forward naturally. But other than that, I think that, that Thunder team is, is friggin' loaded. It's I, I feel like, and that argument goes both ways with the Nuggets, but I feel like Nikola Jokic is more to the Nuggets than Shea is to the Thunder. Yeah, I think this is going to be a classic narrative 
sort of thing, right? How yeah. do the, I mean, obviously it makes sense how they how their play goes to finish the season because because if they're really tight, right? If one's better than the other, that could be it. But yeah, I think the team team standings are going to be great, right? If the Nuggets fade a little bit because they don't care if they go down to the four, if the Thunder surge up to the one, their play is similar. I think they they might reward the Thunder. It's kind of the year of the Thunder with the way uh, Mark Dagnall might get coach of the year. Um, Chet, you know, he still has a real shot for rookie of the year. Um, you know, I think it could be um, all, all sales in the right direction sort of thing. Completely agree. Uh, well, the other thing we did last episode is uh, Duncan and I finished up our all-star draft, um, which is fun because they don't do the draft anymore. It's East vs. West. Maybe they'll change it again. I don't know. That wasn't a pitch today. Um, <laughs> so what Duncan and I did, yes, we each put on our GM hats. And uh, I'm not going to go through the teams because it's a lot of players. I'm not going to read 24 players out. You can look at our Instagram at 7 seconds or more to see that post. Um, from that post, we did a poll on our Instagram. Uh, where we asked people a simple question, who drafted the better team? Now, it was a 12% difference, which, I mean, you really cut it in half because, right, if it's 6%, then it, then it, right? Is that how we talk about it? It's 56% to 44% because, like, if 6% changed. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. You get what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a statistician. Um Anyways, we're very, very tight. You know, a couple more votes either way could have swayed it. Well, not either way, obviously the one way. Um, <laughs> but the person who the people say drafted the better team <clears throat> was, it was myself. Uh, Slight Losing edge. all the games today. Sorry, Doug. <laughs> all good. Yeah, well, I think you, you did suffer from Trey Young-itis, in which you had him on your team. Um the, the people might have not might have not liked that. I, I don't know. I don't know. He's he's too hated on. He was killing it in the skills competition. That's true. That's true. I'm a big Trey fan personally, Dunk. So I, I I like your team, but I feel like you're lacking a bit at the uh, at the five. Like Peter had you like I think three centers to one there, which is kind of why I gave him my nod. <laughs> I think you got Anthony Davis, who by the way, fabulous player. Incredibly great defensive talent, but he's gotta go against Nikola Jokic and Bede, Cat, and Bam. Yeah, well you see, I was going for straight all all star highlights. So that that was the direction I was going in. All star game as we've discussed at length today has become Duggan. I think <laughs> a lot of points in your favor with but that. But then game. again, Cat did score fifty off the bench, so Which is true. You you do have Damian Lillard on your team though, worth mentioning, uh, because he he did win the All Star Game MVP. The last the... two MVPs too, with Tatum as the All Star MVP. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, honest, the year have... before that, right? Uh, he has yeah. Uh, you have Anthony Davis, who had set the previous record. Um, yeah. So accolades you definitely have. Uh, I just you know have the hearts of the people. So. <laughs> um. Yeah, I do have Carl Anthony Towns. You know. Big purr, so that's exciting. He's <laughs> uh, <laughs> got nothing on Sir Purr, though, of course. Carolina's own. Oh, yeah. Carolina's own. Sir Purr. Speaking of Carolina, well, a little something to leave you guys with. The Hornets currently are oh, uh, <laughs> are t- only 10 games back from the 10 seed. In okay. front of them. Well, you're saying there's a chance. There's no. 30 games remaining. In front of them. The Raptors, Nets, and Hawks. Nets, full tank. They got Kevin Ollie, full tank. Raptors, they're 
four games ahead of the Hornets right now, we could catch up to them. We that need to is... win 10 more games than the Hawks in the next 30 games. So Hawks go 5-25, and 25, right? <laughs> and Hornets go 15-15. and 15. There's still a chance. They're 3-0 and since the trade deadline. You know, keep that, keep that thing rolling. Duncan, I do another show. It's my radio show, Throwback Saturday, shameless plug. Link in the bio. My co-host, one of them, his name is Nick Craig. You guys don't know him. He has this belief that anyone can win the Western Conference because statistically, I, he means within playoff teams. He Because he's like, hey, whoever's the eighth seed, whoever ends up being, you know, they could win, right? Statistically, obviously, they have a shot. And I'm like, yes, statistically, but really, I think no one beyond the top four seats. I think you're doing a little bit of a little bit of this, a little bit of hey, they've got a chance, a little point one percent. Um, I, I'm sorry, I'm just I'm so sick of Nick's uh, Nick's rancies going. I, I keep trying to shut him down. We keep trying to go on him that I have to nip it in the bud. <laughs> no, all good. I'm just I'm excited for the New Hornets. You know, even if they win ten out of the next 30 games they go 10 and 20 that will like almost double the wins on the season so anything anything resolving anything close resembling that is uh anything. Is anything. <laughs> just something and hey if the, if the hornets only win 10 games all you need you know this is easy you need the hawks to go on a 30 game losing streak right it can happen the pistons almost did it why not the hawks why not us exactly there's a chance <laughs> It's not over till it's over. I didn't hear no bell. <laughs> uh, well, that does uh, that does bring us to the end here in uh, probably the longest show we've had in in several uh, episodes. Um, anything to say on the way out, gentlemen? I did one little stinger, but I'll do another quick one. NBA oh, twenty twenty four mock drafts came out. Uh, Donovan Klingon projected number 11, Stefan Castle number 15, Alex Caravan projected number 49 to the Boston Celtics. You know, all that very don't, subject to change, but there's a don't chance. Don't do, don't tempt me with Caravan. He's on my t-shirt right now. I don't, yeah, oh, there yeah. he is. Don't. There, there he is. Northborough zone. You cannot, you cannot Dude. float that out that. Mass hole going to the Boston Celtics would be just, mwah, be great. That's all some, I need to do with. There's some, a chance. Uh, some mock drafts had, you know, if Klingon decided to enter the draft last year, that he'd be a, a late first-round pick. So I read mock drafts where they were like, Klingon going to the Celtics last year. And I was like, I can't handle this. It's never going to happen. <laughs> don't do not do this so to me. Hard. Oh, him, and, him and Castle are going to be going back up to top 10 if they both have good tournaments and everything. Because they, they were top 10, and then injury tanked him a bit. But there's a chance. Yeah, and UConn just looking a cut above everybody else right now. Insane. Um, and I do think worth mentioning, Duncan, it is a, uh, at least uh, people around the league think it's a historically terrible draft class. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then again, people around the league don't know anything because they draft, look at that 2020 draft class. That that makes no sense. Granted, COVID, they, but like, they, they no yeah, sense. they didn't have in-person scouting, but you can't defend James Wiseman, right? Didn't they also say the draft with uh, Ant Wiseman and Lamelo was going to be pretty bad too? And then now look where Ant is. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you know the discourse then was, "Yo, we gotta wait till next year because the next year's draft's going to be insane." No, I and think it's 
But like, saw, man, he's a top ten player this year. It's also that it, it feels like it's always like everyone's looking ahead, right? No one's looking in the mm-hmm. moment. Um, I, Ant was he he ended up being the definitive top guy, but he wasn't like he wasn't the top guy of top guys. He wasn't like a yeah. Wemby. He wasn't a Zion. So I, I think there's a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have anything no. to say on the way out, uh, Garrett? No, Pete. It's good to be back in the saddle again, doing this with you guys. I missed it. It's it's been fun. So thanks again once more. At risk of you know saying it too many times. Thanks once again for having me on the pod. It's been great to be back. Well, I think we're out of actual uh, actual outros. No more stats. No more no more parting thoughts. This is it. All right, cutting it short. Uh, and we'll see you all next time.